Within transformation plans, funding has been provided to help people get the help they need when and where they need it. This works by the NHS and third sectors working together to improve access and transition. Lived experience professionals, carers and mental health professionals are joining together to help make this happen. This is part one of the Transformation podcast. Neera, who is a GP who works in North West London, will talk about what is happening with transformation in her area. Then we have lived experience practitioner Danny and also Mark, who is a carer, coming to join with us to discuss what they would like to see from transformation. Please be aware some of the conversation may be triggering to some listeners. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Neera Delakia. I am a GP and I've worked um, in mental health service design for several years. And I currently lead the primary care part of the personality disorder and complex emotional needs pathway um, for NHS London Clinical Networks and Healthy London Partnership. It's been a really interesting time um, with all the transformation programmes going on. And I think this brings us a huge number of opportunities to really improve the care that we are able to give to people with complex emotional needs. It definitely brought it home to me when one of my patients um, in my practice was very honest about their journey and how things have been for them in the the GP practice, but also when they had then encountered people um, within um, secondary care, within the trusts, um, and also um, the help that they got from the um, third sector um, services that they had been um, accessing. And it really did make me think about what we can do in primary care, particularly that will be able to support people with complex emotional needs much better so that they have the effective personalised care that they need. Specifically, locally where I work, um, we've had our mental health transformation going ahead. Um, and alongside that, we have um, a programme of work which involves um, developing the new roles for workers, for people with complex emotional needs. And these are specialist workers specifically attached to the teams, as well as giving the entire team training on trauma-informed care and generally about complex emotional needs. So that whole package coming together, hopefully with a seamless pathway, and then going to integrate it with our transformation of our mental health services as we are currently doing it. And I think that is a huge opportunity for us and something that has been a long time in the coming, um, definitely for um, our patients, um, both locally, but also across London. In terms of access, I think one of the key things is about ensuring that people are heard when they need help. Um, And this starts all the way from how we communicate with them. Is it um, by telephone? Is it by letter? Is it by text message or video or e-consult or all the many ways that we can now access services? And it's important for us, particularly in primary care, to um, be able to both open up those avenues, but also 
be able to communicate with people in the way that suits them the best. Ensuring that all the way from our receptionists and administrative staff, people with complex emotional needs are able to access the correct help that they need all the way to um, speaking to a clinician or somebody else from the primary care team and people who have been trained um, specifically um, in this area. And that's something that we hope um, to be able to roll out across all our primary care teams. And this is going to be bespoke training, which addresses all the aspects that we would encounter, which includes how we build relationships, how we approach the initial assessment, how we build trusted assessments so that people aren't having to repeat their story multiple times, and also how we then offer um, intervention. So thinking about medication and a range of therapeutic interventions, but also thinking about lifestyle measures, um, looking at somebody's physical health and also how people are able to access peer support, advocates, sponsors to help them along their journey and help them to access the other services that they might need. And this is about looking at personalised, individualised care um, and there being no wrong door when somebody does want to access care. In terms of training, I really hope that we're able to both co-produce but also co-deliver our training with our lived experience practitioners and service users because this is the only way that we are going to be able to show the reality of what somebody's journey has been like and can be like and this will enable our primary care teams to be able to look at what's happening in their practice and change their pathways accordingly. And then thinking about the assessment and what happens after that. So we'd like to see those assessments done as close to primary care as possible. So within these new mental health hubs attached to primary care networks. And this means that the GP stays um, as much part of that um, person's um, journey and their care as possible. And that will then enable that person to access both their GP or the mental health team or the third sector organisation that is involved in their care much more easily. And finally, I think it's important for us to remember that we can build new pathways and review our services, but these things are not static and it's something that we'll need to keep reviewing, keep adjusting keep making improvements and base that upon the feedback that we receive from people that actually do use the services to ensure that they're getting the best possible care and and this may mean small change it changes it may mean larger changes but at least this way we are um, continuously striving to actually improve the way that care is offered to people with complex emotional needs yeah, I am Danny and I work for the Healthy London Partnership as a lived experience practitioner for the Complex Emotional Needs Disorder Transformation Team. My name is Mark. I am a carer 
I've been doing care for about 15 years and I specialize in all different types of care, mainly uh, mental health and specialist care. So, um, yeah, thank you, Mark, for um, volunteering to attend our podcast around transformation. Um, I have some questions here which um, we can go through if you're ready. So the question I put to you would be, what has been your experience of accessing services and what, given your experience and knowledge of other people's experience, would you see as the most do's in this area? So just to clarify that, it's basically saying, um, what's your experience of accessing services um, and your knowledge about other people's experiences when they were trying to access services? Um, what were the downfalls in that, if any? Yeah, great question. Um, I would have to say, initially, there are services. However, they're not really straightforward for people that are not involved in mental health. Um, the, the one that comes to mind is um, DBT. Um, and MBT, um, dialytical behavioral therapy, um, which is available specifically for people that have borderline personality disorder. Um, that's probably one of the best, um, I guess, types of um, help and therapy that's available for people that have um, borderline personality disorder. And the only reason that I know that is because I did um, support someone that had borderline personality disorder. Um, the information isn't really out there to find um, unless you're involved in the services, I believe. And I feel um, that there's quite a stigma um, surrounding borderline personality disorder um, I think the downfall for DBT and MBT is the fact that you have to there's a waiting list um, you have to wait at least 18 to 24 months before you can actually um, actually be seen by a professional a healthcare professional and also you have to be referred um, by a GP um, so it's not that accessible. So, for example, if someone as an adult has just been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, um, you would think that there would be immediate support there. Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. It takes time. You have to wait, you know, to be referred. Yes, you can go privately. However, not everybody has the money to, to go privately. So I'd say... That alone is probably a downfall um, regarding um, difficulty in getting the, I guess, support that one needs. Okay, thank you. That's really helpful, um, Mark. And yes, totally agree with you in terms of the the, the long waiting process um, can be quite daunting on, on anyone and can be quite off-putting. Um, so That's right. And I know that you you care for somebody that has personality disorder. 
Yeah, that's right. Would you say it's the same struggle as um, people with borderline personality disorder and people with personality disorder? Are you saying that the struggle is pretty much the same in terms of accessing um, support through the mental health system? Okay, yeah, I need to clarify. Yeah, so um, personality disorder, I would say finding the same support is the same. However, in my experience working closely with people with both, um, I would say there is a lot more stigma behind um, with people that have um, borderline personality disorder. Um, I think that um, in my experiences, especially going to appointments and things like that and supporting um, clients with borderline personality disorder, I feel like they've they've suffered a lot of discrimination in, in, in the sense that nobody really wants to get involved. Um, doctors don't want to really deal with it. You know, a lot of my clients have been rejected just because they say it's too complex. Um, not so much with um personality disorder however there is still a struggle to get services um and to know and, and know where to go um to i guess get help and support if you're suffering from these disorders so it, it is a very long waiting process you know and with my experience, regardless of I feel, you know, borderline personality disorder or personality disorder, somehow they do sometimes be seen under the one umbrella and they are the ones that kind of um, professionals and clinicians sometimes can be a little bit weary of working with. Um, the other question I wanted to put to you is as a carer, um, do you feel that you've been able to access support services for you? for caring with people with personality disorders. Um, and if you have had some help or support, it would be great for you to share that with us. But if you haven't, then please do share that with us as well. So initially, um, for me to uh, receive the support, I had to do my own research. There are lots and lots of communities out there um, on social media um, and things like that. Um, you can join, you know, social media groups, especially with um, people that actually are in relationships with people that have a borderline personality disorder. And it's really good to um, join those communities because you kind of come across the same sort of issues and knowing how to deal with, um, I guess, things that that arise in 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 your personal relationships and you know in professional relationships and knowing how to best manage um, and support those that have borderline personality disorder. Um, however, I don't think that there is a, a, an immediate um, platform where people can access help unless you do your own research, um, which is a shame because, you know, I, I feel that personality disorder is, is, is a lot more common than not. Um, and I feel that there, that there should be a lot more support out there. OK, no, that's um, very interesting. Definitely. Um, and hearing it from a carer's perspective of there not being much support um, out there um, being provided for carers who do, you know, live with or care for 
you know, who somebody has personality disorder, um, as we do understand that person personality disorder is complex needs and um, sometimes probably challenging in some cases. Um, and it's quite upsetting and disappointing to hear that, you know, you have to go and do your own research about finding other support groups um, to support your, you know, to support yourself with. Um, but that's been really interesting to hear it actually um, from yourself, uh, who is actually a carer. Um, mm. I'm going to go on to the next question, unless you wanted to add anything else, Mark. So you've taken somebody uh, with personality disorder for an assessment. Um, do you feel that the person that is carrying out the assessment should be focused more on the person um, and how they present and not the diagnosis that they have? OK, so I would say yes and no, um, because when initially you're doing an assessment, it, it has to be a personal approach a personal approach so you have to know what you're dealing with and who you're dealing with and what what their mental health issues are however when doing the initial assessment you have to you know make it as personal as possible you have to take that personal centered approach um, make it tailor it to their needs um, that is the best way of being able to do an assessment on someone is doing it to their needs and what their needs are. So you can't just completely dismiss the fact that they've got personality disorder or whatever um, disorder that they may have, whether it be psychosis, whether it be um, dementia, it doesn't matter. As long as they've got capacity and they have, you know, ability to, you know, I guess, make their own decisions, you've got to, treat them as a human being. Um, I wouldn't say 100% focus the fact that they've got the personality disorder, but it, you have to take that into account that actually they have personality disorder. What are their needs? Because no one person is the same. So everybody's going to be different. That's why it's important to do that personal-centred approach. Question around um, intervention. Um, and, and I feel that you may be able to answer this question because um, you're in the care capacity. Okay. I'm someone who takes medication for my mental health issues, including my personality disorder. The question I put to you is what measures would you like to see to ensure that medication is prescribed in a collaborative way? that respects the patient's autonomy? With that question, I think it's important to, um, I, I guess it depends on the individual, because some people think that they might not need it, um, the medication. Um, and I think um, really and truly it's about being um, educated. Um, I think that doctors and GPs and psychiatrists have a duty of care to educate um, and the benefits, the, the benefits from taking medication and the, the cons of taking medication. But also um, really important what um, other avenues of um, help there is, um, because I think too far often it, we're very quick to draw to, med to, to, draw to medication. Um, because we think that that's going to solve everything. And I don't necessarily agree 
that medication is, is is the is the answer i think it's more um talking about it and making people aware and self-reflection um i think it's really important to be reflective um and uh talk about it you know like we're doing now you know having podcasts and things like that i think those are things are really important i think it's really important i think it's really down to the individual um and I, what I would like to see is to see GPs and um, and psychiatrists and people that do give the diagnosis, don't, they don't just stop at the, the diagnosis. Uh, I guess in continuous contact with those that they have diagnosed. So they don't just, you know, the people that um, get their diagnosis and then they just leave and then, right, get on with it kind of thing. I think it's really important for those psychiatrists to keep in contact with the people that they diagnose and to regularly check in and to still educate and to remind people of the importance of having therapy and taking their medication if that's what they need because some people might not need it some people might have a mild form of personality disorder or a borderline personality you know we have to remember that it's on a scale isn't it um borderline personality disorder and personality disorders on a scale just like a lot of other mental health conditions it's on a scale um it's not black and white you're all the same you all have this that's what it is um so that's what i would like to see um and i would also like to see a little bit more um access um easier access for those that maybe not have the resources um, to go online and, and, and research, you know, what can be done and what can be there to support those that are suffering from mental health issues, um, specifically borderline personality disorder and personality disorder, or um, and those that, you know, are supporting um, those with personality disorder and those that may be in relationships with them. Um, because I think it's, it's nice that there are communities out there. However, a lot of these things are on social media. Um, and sometimes people might not always have the, people might not have the internet. People might not have laptops, <laughs> you know, um, and so I would like to see that there are, um, you know, more communities and, you know, it's, it's more vocalized. I definitely can definitely relate to a lot of the things you've you've been sharing with us as well in relation to your experience. Um, you know, just kind of going back in terms of, you know, being prescribed medication and should it be a collaborative thing or just, I guess, where a GP just looks at your diagnosis and just gives you the medication that they believe is, you know, to help help support you, whether it's for anxiety. I've been prescribed so many different medications over the years um and I don't I didn't really feel like it was a collaborative decision between myself and my GP I kind of felt it was just a routine um you know somebody has this this is what they get prescribed so um I really I think would like I would really like to see moving forward um GPs and and hospitals within the mental health uh you know, actually works in collaboration with the patient, you know, and sit down and discuss 
you know, the side effects, you know, doctors very rarely tell you the side effects of medication. They'll just say, go home and read it. Um, and not knowing if that person is has dyslexia or has any uh, learning difficulties as well. Um, so I do think that is definitely something, you know, that going forward with the transformation that GPs and, and medical practitioners who prescribe medication work with the client, straight patient, um, as a working partnership. Um, so I'm quite passionate on that just yeah, um, going back to what you were saying with the whole collaborative thing, I, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about um, personal approach. I mean, you know, a doctor, you know, your GP still has a duty of care to still personal approach. So instead of just a doctor just, you know, going, OK, well, this is what you need, you know, because it's that's the that's the medication that you, you give someone with borderline or that's the medication that you give with someone from psychosis. You know, instead of it being like that, I do think GPs and doctors and psychiatrists, they have a duty of care to make it personal, personal, personal centered, you know. So you might not need it. You might not need medication. You might need something else. You might need, I don't know, therapy that might work better for you than just giving you medication. And, and a lot of the time, I feel that, uh, you know, doctors do misdiagnose, you know, borderline personality disorder or personality disorder. Usually it gets diagnosed with um, BP, um, um, bipolar disorder, um, a lot of the time. Um, I know quite a few people that have been misdiagnosed. They thought, you know, that they had borderline personality, sorry, not borderline, um, bipolar disorder. But in when they actually looked into it and actually decided to do their um, their care um, personal centered, that's when they found out that actually they had borderline personality or personality disorder. And I think that's why I think it's extremely important that it is collaborative, um, you know, between client and GP or client and psychiatrist. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing your personal experiences and, you know, your your, your work life as well. Um, that's really, really beneficial. Um, you did state to me, Mark, that you wanted to just talk just a little bit about stigma. Yeah. That you've experienced. Would you like to just just for a minute or so um, before we we end, it'd be nice just to kind of share with us about you said you have some things to talk about stigma. Yes. I do. Um, I would say that it's probably one of the main barriers, um, I would say, for professionals, clinicians. Um, they, in my, in, in my opinion, um, they have a preconception about personality disorder, um, that it's very complex. Um, and very unlikely to um, want to take on that responsibility, in my experience. I, I'm, I can't really talk for everybody, um, but and and speaking to you know other um, people that have personality disorder in their experiences as well, they've 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 come across a lot of um, it themselves and other people that have cared. Um, that they've, you know, had the same problems um, when trying to um, 
get a professional to basically support them. They don't really want them to talk about it. They don't really want to um, get involved because it's too complex. And I think there's a there might be a little a little bit of a fear there, you know, um, because it is complex. But the only yeah. way that I I feel that things can change is by first accepting it that actually okay, it you know people have it okay. Um, but then the second thing is to is to talk about it, you know, because you know not one thing is going to work for for everybody, you know. That's why there are so many different approaches, you know, to support that 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 I guess you can have. Um, and I think the more we talk about it and the more open we are about it and people that have um, personality disorder, the more accepting it is. It's just like, you know, nowadays, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you wouldn't very you wouldn't see people with learning difficulties on television. You just wouldn't see it. But now you see people, you know, in movies and in television series. And that's because people have started to accept that there are people that have learned difficulties um, and that everybody's equal. Um, so, you know, I, and I think that eventually, you know, the same thing can happen for people that have personality disorder as well and borderline personality disorder, that they people will accept it more. But the only way that can happen is if we talk about it. And if there isn't, and if we, you know, kind of get rid of that stigma, you know, that all the line people are too complex or they're too emotional, you know, which is not the case. In my experience, it's not really the case. It's just that, you know, sometimes um, in my experience, you know, working with people with borderline personality disorder, that they just have a different way of dealing with things, Um, just like anybody else that has mental health. There's different ways of being able to deal with things, and it's that understanding that will help us move forward. But we won't get that understanding until we get rid of that stigma. You know, I don't want to do it. It has to come from the professionals first and foremost. If the professionals don't want to deal with it, then we don't have, you know, everyday people don't have a chance, in my opinion. And I think that's where it started. It has to start at the, start at the top. People, that, those people that are given those diagnoses. You know, I think that they they have a lot more work and a and a, and a higher responsibility um, to, to 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 stay involved and to and to and to be involved and to continue to be involved. I, I I don't think because far too many times I've seen people get diagnosed and then they're like, off you go. This is what you can do. Get on with it, kind of thing. And I and I think that's the wrong attitude. I think it needs to be consistency. Um, and I think, you know, there should be more support for friends and families and, you know, people that are in relationships as well, because I think it's also important for them to understand what, you know, what people go through, you know, that have these um, disorders. Oh, Mark, thank you. That was really, really, really good. Um, and I really enjoyed listening as well. It, it just when, yeah, you are right. It's this whole talking. We need to talk more. We need to promote it more. We need to get out there more. But definitely, I mean, you've really provided us and I'm sure, um, everyone else in our team will agree that that's just been really insightful. Um, and 
I think for other carers as well that will eventually get to the opportunity to be able to hear these podcasts. Um, so we are really grateful and thank you so much for like giving us your time um, and your experience. Um, so mm. yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to say that I think it's this is what I think is fantastic. You know, you guys doing podcasts like this and you know people that actually have lived experience of suffering with personality disorder I think that is the way forward um I think it's so important and so inspiring and so uplifting to see people that do have disorders show and 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 talk about it with confidence and with you know with real you know passion and, and and not to be ashamed of the disorders that they have so it's people like you yourselves that are moving this forward and allowing people to accept you know that it's okay you know to have mental health and you know we're just like everybody else we can manage so thank you for doing what you're doing thanks for listening if you feel triggered please do contact the links within the podcast or seek medical advice